0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Genesis, chapter 22, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to start out by asking you a question today. One very simple question, and you can answer it however you'd like. First thing that pops into your head What do you think I want to hear? What I actually want to hear, if you can read my mind? The question is this. If you could have anything in the world, what would it be? Now, think about that for a moment. If you have something, you can go ahead and raise your hand. You know, I'm a genie in a bottle, and I can make your one wish come true. Maybe one thing you want, is to not have to answer any questions like this. Anybody? One thing you could have. Anything in the world. What would it be? Yeah. Your dream house. All right. What? Good health. All right. Yes. Peace. Jesus. Okay. All right. Salvation, okay. Anyone? You stop because you don't want to talk. You can't top that, huh? Anyone else? One thing yet. Anything in the world? What would it be? Okay. I mean, the possibilities are endless. For I mean, what you could want in this world, right? Dream house, good health, a million dollars. Right? Anybody? Or, you know, maybe at least enough money to travel around the world, live on a luxurious yacht with your soulmate. Probably need a little more than a million dollars for that. I mean, maybe you just want to have a spouse, that soulmate to, you know, spend your life with. Maybe you want your, not dream house, but maybe your dream job. Maybe you want to live long enough to see your children, your grandchildren, grow up. Maybe you want to go back in time and make some different life choices along the way. Maybe you don't want good health, but maybe you want to live forever. I mean, there's so many different things you could want here on this earth. And whatever it is that you want in this world, in your life, how far would you be willing to get it? I mean, maybe if you had an answer, you know, something that like, you'd like to have a child with your spouse. And in order to do that, what would you be willing to go through in order to get that? I mean, would you be willing to go through all kinds of steps in order to make that possible? I mean, especially if conception doesn't happen right away, or, you know, you've been trying for a while, Would you go to a fertility clinic to see whether or not your bodies are actually, you know, made to have children? Maybe you try some different ways to boost your fertility, help you get pregnant. If not, maybe you try to take some extra steps in order to help you conceive. Maybe you do some IVF. Maybe you try that multiple times. And not only how far would you be willing to go, But for how long would you be willing to try in order to have a child with your spouse? Being able to have a child. This may not be originally what Abraham and Sarah wanted most in the world. But it was certainly what God had promised them. And afterward, it probably did become their heart's desire. And then, nothing. God promised it, and then silence. When we go back to the history, Abraham was 75 years old. He was still Abram at the time, when he set off for the land that God had promised to give him in Genesis chapter 12. Last week, we heard in Genesis 15 that God cut a covenant with Abraham he said his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So Abraham couldn't have been any younger than 75, and was, you know, probably a little older by then. In Genesis chapter 16, we see that Abram is 86 years old when he had a child with Hagar. So he and Sarai had waited for up to 11 years without being able to have a child on their own, and that's when they took matters into their own hands using Sarah's, Sarai's female servant. At some point along the way, they became a little impatient. This child, Ishmael, however, was not the one God had promised. Then another 13 years go by, and still no children. When God comes to Abram and changes his name to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude, and promises that in one year he will have a son with Sarai, whose name is now changed to Sarah. They have now been waiting up to 24 years to have a child. Can you imagine trying to conceive for 24 years and nothing? How would you feel about this? And that's why we say that the ha is added to Abraham's name, because God promised a kid. They had waited at least 13 years to no avail, and now they're old. They're past the age of childbearing, and Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Now, I don't know if you've ever had someone make you laugh hard enough that you fell on your face, but here it is. Sarah, of course, laughs when he she hears the news as well. And that's why Abraham and Sarah have a child just like God promised, and name him Isaac, because Isaac means he laughs. Abraham laughed at the thought of having a child when he was a hundred years old. But with Isaac, we see that God keeps his promises no matter how many years it takes to fulfill, even if it seems impossible. Now, in a reading from Genesis today, we see God tell Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham takes Isaac to the land of Moriah, which is where the city of Jerusalem and the temple would later be built. And God tells him to go and sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. God asks for a human sacrifice. And not just any sacrifice. The sacrifice of the one who was promised to make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. The one that God had promised an everlasting covenant with. Isaac may mean he laughs, but I guarantee Abraham is not the one laughing as him and Isaac trek up this mountain where the sacrifice will be made. And as they journey, before they get to the place where God shows them, they leave the young men, the servants behind, and Abraham says, stay here. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will come back again to you. It's an interesting comment, because Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac. But he tells these men that both of them would come back to them. He believed that Isaac would be brought back to life. And the New Testament reading from Hebrews confirms it. Of course, Isaac doesn't really know what's going on because he asks his dad where the lamb for the burnt offering is since they have everything else that they need. Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Then he gets everything ready. To sacrifice Isaac. And you see, Isaac doesn't fight it. He doesn't even question his father as he's placed on the altar. At least God's word doesn't tell us, doesn't record it. And at this point, if you're reading it, many of you might be thinking one of two things. First, how could Abraham so easily, it appears, just offer up his son as a sacrifice? The simple answer is faith. Abraham believed that God could raise the dead. He didn't actually expect intervention from God, that God was going to stop him. He thought he would sacrifice his son, and then God would bring him back to life. Some of us don't have that strong of faith. Now, that's not to say that Abraham always had that strong of faith. Remember, God took his time. And it was Sarah's idea to give Hagar to him. And rather than saying to her, no, 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 the promise was for you and I, Sarah, not me and Hagar, so I think I'll pass. Abraham just did what his wife said. Of course, then there's the whole falling on his face with laughter conversation. And also there's a time when Abraham said Sarah was his sister, not his wife, when they were in a foreign land, to protect them both, but especially to save his own life. And then God had to intervene with the king. And this didn't happen just once, but twice. Abraham wasn't perfect, but he did believe in God. Now, the second thing you might think about is, how could God do that? How could God demand Abraham sacrifice his son? What kind of God does that? Obviously, we know the end of the story. But sometimes God does things to test our faith, and that's what Hebrews told us. It was a test of Abraham. Sometimes he allows these things to happen as a way to strengthen our faith. Sometimes we succeed, and sometimes we fail. Abraham believed God, and that God was a God of miracles, and that anything was possible with him. And he saw that, and he knew it when that little life began in Sarah's womb. And now he's ready to take that life from this earth. And after everything is prepared, he did not hesitate to sacrifice Isaac. And so God intervenes again. And he stops Abraham's hand. And God tells Abraham, Because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. All of the nations shall be blessed through Abraham's offspring." Today is Transfiguration Sunday, where we celebrate Jesus being transfigured on a mountain. And God the Father speaking over his Son. He speaks similar words to those at Jesus' baptism. And after those words, Jesus' earthly ministry begins. Here at the Transfiguration, after God the Father speaks these words the final journey of Jesus's earthly ministry begins, which ends at the cross. And at transfiguration, you have Moses and Elijah who are there with Jesus, representing the law and the prophets. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And there are some similarities between the story of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jesus being transfigured. With Abraham, God is essentially saying, this is your son, the chosen one, through whom the promise of your descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky, will come, through whom all of the nations will be blessed. Now go and sacrifice him. And then God intervenes, and he gives Abraham the ram. At the Mount of Transfiguration, God is essentially saying, this is my son, my chosen one, my beloved, and I will offer him up as a sacrifice because through him all the nations will be blessed. And Jesus is the ram. Now, if you felt any kind of compassion like you did with Isaac, you might say about Jesus, how could God do that? And the answer is, how could God do Not do that. If you remember the opening question in your answer, you could do anything in the world, what would would it be? Maybe some of you would undo some of those choices that you made in life. Maybe some of those sins that you've done in the past, if you could do it over again. While God can't change the past, we do go to the past to see where God intervenes on our behalf. That's because our sins deserve punishment. They deserve death. And what we deserve is to lose our life. And not just our earthly life, but our eternal life. We deserve punishment, condemnation, hell. And not just some of us, but all of us. But we can't die in order to save ourselves because we are sinners. Our sacrifice would never be good enough. We can't save ourselves, let alone someone else. If God could have anything in the world, what do you think He'd want? Well, His Word tells us He wants all people to be saved. And what was He willing to do for it? How far was He willing to go? He was willing to do everything. And so God offers up Jesus, his beloved son, as a human sacrifice in that same land where Abraham was going to offer up Isaac because it was the only way. Through Abraham's all offspring, all generations would be blessed. And that's because Jesus comes from the line of Abraham And it is through him as the ram, as the perfect lamb, who intervenes for us in order to bless all of the nations of the earth. Because it is in Christ that forgiveness of sins has been won for all people. That eternal life is given to all who believe. Jesus takes our place. He dies on the cross for all of our sins, for all of our failures, for all of our selfishness for everything that we do that doesn't live up to how God wants us to live. God offers up Jesus to save us. And God offers up Jesus because he is able to raise the dead. And that's what happens with Jesus after three days. Jesus, who is both truly God and truly man, rises from the dead because he was the perfect sacrifice proving that he has won forgiveness and salvation for us and that he has conquered sin, death, and the devil. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to work faith in us, to believe in him, and to change us. We can't change our past self, but we can change our present self and our future self with the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit who is present at Jesus' baptism and who is present in our baptism. Present in the word. Present in the Lord's Supper to strengthen our faith so that we can live the life God wants for us by faith. Just like Abraham. That we can go and do That we can follow where God calls us. That we can make sacrifices to him, for him. Sacrificing things that get in the way of us living faithful lives to God. And sacrificing our lives in service to him. And that's all because of the sacrifice that he first made for us. Serving us with his death and resurrection with his body and his blood. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world for his dearly loved children. That's me. And that's you. Amen. Now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.